Today on the Zabecast, what have I told you a European country has spent 2 million euros on a children's song designed to stop rapists? What have I told you Andy Poland thinks Tony Romo is worth every penny? What have I told you I'm starting to think Tua to the Redskins could be real? And lastly, why we all need to just pump our brakes a bit on reporting everything we think proves we're living among idiots. Your bonus 45 minutes of me is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. Oh, here we go. Tuesday, March 3rd, 2020. Thank you for downloading. Let's get right into it. I wouldn't have believed this story if I didn't check it, recheck it, cross-check it, and say, wow. I I can't believe it, but this story is actually true. Apparently, they have spent money over in the Netherlands to create what one person called a rape macarena. A what? That's right. A YouTuber by the name of Tina Wilk, or Wick, W-I-I-K, in Finland. Did I say the Netherlands? I'm sorry. Finland. Uh, Her hometown in Finland has launched a two and a half million euro project called Safe Oulu that aims at combating the migrant rape crisis. Now, they won't say it's for that, but everyone over there knows it is. This is a real problem that, shh, don't, don't talk about this. This is where the money goes, she writes. Kill me now, at least be kind and lobotomy, lobotomize me so I won't have to live with this image in my head. I warn you, for those who are susceptible to awful earworms that you will never be able to get out of your head, you may want to skip this. This is the Rape Macarena designed... To let anybody, migrant or otherwise, know, don't touch me, don't rape me, I just want to go and get to the bus stop. Please leave me alone. Here it is. Oh my God. Stop. Don't touch me there. This is my no-no square. And they're dancing, and they've got polo shirts that have the name of this safe Oulu, and it doesn't look like a work to me. It doesn't look like a fake, although it could be a deep onion fake. I don't know. But (laughs) stop. You want to hear it again, don't you? Of course you do. Makes you wonder. So this costs two point five million, huh? The polo shirts were probably—I'll give you a hundred bucks each. That's grossly overpriced. There's four of those. The uh, keyboard that you had to knock that ditty out on was probably a couple hundred. Looks like we're missing about two point four million dollars. The YouTuber, Ms. Tina Wick, says the woman in glasses in the front of this silly dance is a former socialist Democrat 
candidate before the grooming scandal broke the news. She denied such a problem even existed and claimed that migrant rape gangs are just a lie made up by racists. And if the rape Macarena is not enough to stop them, there's always the oldie but goodie advice from our public news network. Just stretch your arm out in front of you with the palm facing the attacker and the rapist will go away. There's a video of that as well with music where they demonstrate woman on the street, man creeping up behind her, goes to grab her purse. She turns around and does the Marshawn Lynch stiff arm. And the man just backs away, backs away. The comments on this are hilarious. So the idea is that if you're a 10-year-old girl trapped in an apartment with a tent with 10 horny Iraqis, just say, stop, don't touch me there. This is my no-no square. Yeah, it'll be fine. Sure. Someone else commented, so you're saying that Sweden's don't touch me bracelets weren't exactly the success police were hoping for? And that poor Finland has now had to resort to the no-no square? Wow, shocker. I thought the Swedes had stumbled on a winner-winner with the jewelry. <laughs> yeah, I apparently that's the case as well. Sweden's like, all right, we've got a rape crisis going on here. We're taking in a lot of migrants, and they're a little more aggressive than we had you know, counted on. But we don't want to be bad hosts, and we're certainly not going to throw out everybody for a few bad apples. But uh, what can we do to make women feel safe? Oh, bracelet. The don't touch me bracelet. That'll work. The best response, though, was this one. Stop. Don't touch my bum. This is my no-no gun. And a picture of Clint Eastwood as Dirty Harry. You see this, punk? This is a 45... What is the actual line? Oh, I'm going to get it for you right now. Nice prep as always. Well, you know, some of the podcast is improvisational, I got to admit. I never know when I'm going to come upon a, uh, a specific bite I want Dirty Harry. Sometimes I like to see if I can get it on the first shot. Dirty Harry, blow your head clean off. Think that. Yeah. Oh, 255. Uh, 1970, minute 18. I think that's it right here. Let's see if we can go with this. Walking up to a guy that is Partially wounded, it looks like. Yep. Oh, and the guy's going to reach for his gun. Dirty Harry pulls his gun. You're thinking, punk. There we go. You're thinking, did he fire six shots or only five? Now, to tell you the truth, I forgot myself and all this excitement. <laughs> but Ian, this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and will blow your head clean off. <laughs> you could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? <laughs> you start... Well, do you, punk? One of the great scenes in movie history. See, it was worth getting it for you, wasn't it? And if you don't know Dirty Harry, look it up. 1971. Email, always welcome, Zabe at yahoo.com. This one from my friend Parrish Lawler. Corona Conference, he writes, Steed. 
I love it. I love it when you people say steed or steez. That tells me you are an, you know all the inside jokes of me and the show from many years past. And if you don't know what those mean, ask nicely and maybe I'll let you know on a future podcast. Steed, your comments this morning on the podcast regarding the coronavirus scare and the underlying pussification of America in general really hit home for me having just experienced the weekend from travel hell all related to said virus. Did I get sick? Oh, no. Did I get spittled on in a busy airport? No. Well, then what happened to you? Oh, I just traveled across the country for one of the most for, for one of the largest industry conferences in my profession, only to have the conference canceled at the last minute because of coronavirus scare and, quote, deteriorating conditions in both the U.S. and globally. Bullshit, he says. My weekend consisted of me leaving my home at 5.45 a.m. Saturday morning, flying cross-country to Southern California, having a nice lunch, and then checking my email to learn the conference had been canceled due to increasing concerns about COVID-19 or whatever the fuck it is. As you said this morning, it's the flu. It's the fucking flu. I look forward to this. By the way, I know it's different than the flu, but it's a coronavirus of which there are, I think, 70 different coronaviruses. It appears to be easier to catch, maybe somewhat more lethal, but we don't know the numbers. That's the thing. I got into an argument with a friend today and mortality rates 2%. And I'm like, there's less than 100,000 known cases. We don't know who has had it and never tested positive because they never got sick enough to even go get it checked. And there's not enough kits to test enough people at this point. But in addition to this, I said, call me when we get to a million infected, because that's going to happen. When it's a million, tell me the scoreboard then. How many people die at a million samples, not 100,000? If it's still 2%, then yeah, we got a real problem. But it's early in the game is my point. You know, This is a 10-2 start to a basketball game, and if you want to, you can go, we're going to get killed! We're going to get blown out by 50 points! Well, like at a basketball game, Teams adjust strategy. The luck goes different ways. Factors intervene. The calls even out just a bit. You don't know. You don't know. And by the way, there's nothing we can do. I did read some very wonky research paper, or I don't know what it was, a book, a website. That it, like if you ever want to get immersed in viral epidemiology and global pandemics, this online book that I read will melt your fucking head. I was like, wow. And I know you're going to say, well, maybe it shows that you're in over your head, so you should shut the fuck up. Hey, I'm not saying do anything risky. I'm just saying we got to keep living our lives here. we got to stop canceling shit is what I'm saying. The net net, the one thing I took away from this long, in-depth thing about how viruses spread is simply this. Travel restrictions. Do not, all they do is they buy you some time. They, and it's not even that much time. They buy you about a couple of weeks, which can be very helpful. No question about it. And to slow down and make it so that not everybody gets sick all at once and overwhelms the system. But you're not going to stop this from spreading just by travel restrictions or canceling industry conferences. 
My man Parrish says, I look forward to this conference every year. It attracts all the major players in the maritime industry. The content is relevant. I get to spend four days in lovely Southern California where the weather is always nice. I was also quite looking forward to a round of golf on Sunday morning at Pelican Hill, an incredible track in lovely Newport Beach. Did any of that happen? No. No sooner had I unpacked my bags at the West and I was forced to begin the process of canceling reservations and rebooking my flight home. Basically, I spent the entire weekend flying to California, then flying back less than 24 hours later, arriving home around 7 p.m. Sunday evening. What a waste. I look forward to being fully reimbursed by my, for my airfare, hotel, registration fees, and troubles in general from the conference organizers. Oh, that's right. They'll probably try to offer everyone a 10% discount on next year's event. Okay, rant over, but I couldn't let the opportunity pass without letting you know that indeed these knee-jerk reactions to life in the 21st century have consequences, and they are affecting real folks, including yours truly. Loyal 1%er from Mobile, Alabama. Please keep up the great work and do not change a thing. Faithfully, Parrish Lawler. Thank you, Parrish. Great email. Sorry for your inconvenience. Which brings me to another thing, which you might say, wait, aren't you worried about the coronavirus? This summer, I'm going back to Scotland with uh, 11 other men, brave men that love golf beyond all reason. And we are going to play a slobber knocker of a tour of the best of the best of Lynx courses in Scotland, including all of the courses that have ever hosted a British Open or Open Championship on the Rota. It is one hell of a trip. I ain't worried one bit about coronavirus. Hell, by July, it'll be everywhere, so there's no avoiding it. Bottom line, end of story. You want to get trip insurance? Get trip insurance. I don't offer trip insurance, though. We're going. I'm going. I don't give a shit. Bottom line is this. If you love golf, and like I said, fanatics, study the game, live the game, play the game, you don't have to be great. You can be anywhere under an 18 handicap or so. It's, you know, over there in Scotland, you hit the ball, you go find the ball, you hit it again, and you count it up, and you move on to the next tee. It's very basic. It's great. And the caddies are amazing. But if you have always wanted to go on a Scotland World Tour to see the likes of St. Andrews, Troon, Turnberry, and more, and maybe you didn't have the time and effort to say, well, I got a buddy who would do it, and he's got a friend, and I've been trying to get it going, and it just doesn't seem to go anywhere, and then he's got to get permission. Hey, come with me. I feel you. That's what I'm here for. That's why I've put together a Rock'em Sock'em no-holds-barred trip. It is the first and last trip to the old sod you'll ever have to take. Like I said, we hit them all. St. Andrews, the old course, the epicenter. It's very hard to get on the you know tee sheet there. You can get a tee time. It might be really early. It might be really late. You might have to wait, wake up at oh dark 30 and you know st- sit outside in line. We got three times starting at 1 o'clock. I mean, come on. <laughs> So good, isn't it? Glorious tea time in the middle of the day at 1 o'clock at the old course. Turnberry, Mirafield, Troon, Old Course, Carnoustie, even the OG of venues, Prestwick, which is no longer in the Scottish Rota, but it is weird, it's cool, it's old school as fuck. It's great. Plus, we play incredible new school links like Kings Barnes, Trump Scotland, fun-ass weirdo courses like North Berwick and Royal Aberdeen. And yeah, you counted right, that's 10 courses in 8 days. We'll arrive on Saturday morning. We'll get you home the following Sunday night. We got a private 16-seat coach and driver taking us everywhere. We stay four-star and above wherever we go, including a miniature castle at the Trump Resort, and we stay above the 17th hole at St. Andrews. We're not fucking around. Like I said, it's a bolly knocker of a trip, and yeah, it costs a small fortune. But if you love golf, 
And if you're perhaps at the stage of life where retirement is coming, or maybe your kid chose a, let's say, less costly college to attend, yes, you're like, I just found 20 grand a year. Then heck, this trip could be a rounding error on that bill. And as I like to say, tomorrow's not a given. And, uh, and as others might say, I saw this quote, I believe in it, you should spend lavishly on the things in life that give you joy and be miserly with everything else. Amen to that. Trip is July 18th, and I can help answer any secondary questions you might have. I have two spots. That's it, two spots left. Perfect for you and a buddy, for a father and a son, father, daughter, you name it, doesn't matter. Email me at zabityahoo.com or go to drunktommorris.com. That's my cutesy name. Not old Tom Morris, not young Tom Morris, but drunk Tom Morris, who's an angry Tom Morris, but he is still the father of the game of golf. All right, my next guest ran herd with me for 16 years in afternoon drive on WTEM in Washington. You know him, you love him, like my older brother and my radio mentor. He's sometimes cranky, but always observant. Andy Poland. Hello. Hello. There we go. Good old phone line. It's actually better than this newfangled stuff. We got a lot to talk about today, Andy. I'll start with this. In your life, have you seen a contract and a raise quite like what Tony Romo got from CBS? Yeah, it's it's really it's really interesting. It's you know, I mean, John Madden got a lot of money, and comparatively speaking, I guess it's the same given the time period. But this is a I don't know a, if it's the same. What do you think Madden topped out at top salary? I Three million nine. a year with no, from thought, CBS. He oh, made a yeah. shitload of money off the video game. Yeah, but I, I think it was nine million dollars per. Yeah, because I remember, don't think so. But well, go ahead. Because go in, ahead. In, in 1993, in fact, uh, I can tell you a story of, of breaking that story. 1993, the rights for the NFC went from CBS to uh, Fox. And Fox knew that to establish themselves as a legitimate football network, they were going to have to get Madden and Summerall. And at that point, Madden was a free agent. So he could have gone to ABC or he could have gone to NBC. And I believe they paid him $9 million to make the jump. Wow. Well, early Google results hint at 11 mil at the high water part mark. That was when he went to NBC. Oh, okay. I, so I that was, was at the thought, very uh, that was at the very end. I thought I saw something that said Aikman was the highest paid guy currently at seven point five before this new deal for Romo kicks in. Right, right. Well, you know, it, it just is an example of what is happening with television and live sports, and there is so much money to be made. And and the latest from the players who <laughs> are always slow to catch on to things. <laughs> They're now looking at this as a reason why they shouldn't sign the new collective bargaining agreement because, yeah. you know, it's not fair that somebody who doesn't play makes all this money and we take a beating and we don't get that kind of money. Hey, pal, supply and demand. <laughs> right. It works. Right. But here's the thing. I don't understand how networks justify this, assuming that their budget dollars are precious and they fight hard to negotiate the best deals they can for both rights and for talent. 
how is it that they can say this makes sense? Because I don't remember seeing a sharp spike in viewership when Romo began. And I don't see any great difference between a Romo called game of the week or anyone else. I don't either, but I'm not in the television business. And if he's with CBS, it means he's not with ESPN slash ABC. So when they fight for television dollars and advertising, I guess that's significant for them. And also CBS is looking to hang on to the deal and, the NFL now, because it's such a valuable commodity, can play games with them. And I, you know, I guess in some way, CBS having Romo makes them a stronger player to keep the contract. Do you remember when, uh, who was it, CBS News paid Katie Couric an ungodly amount of money to be the face of the nightly news? Yeah. And yeah. she absolutely crashed their ratings. I mean, yeah. just into the shitter. And I think that number was twelve million a year. That could be. Look, you know what? Judge Judy is is retiring. I was you know getting on Judy my makes? to do. That's on my to do list. Yeah, go ahead. What what did she make? I saw forty seven million dollars a year. year. But, yeah, but but that's syndication. Syndication okay. is the sweet spot where you get a lot of stations paying you for your show, and then you're golden. Yeah, and yeah. and Judge Judy is a talent, right? She is, but but you could probably make the case that you could find another judge who's uh, <laughs> uh, an older Jewish woman who would be also a balabusta to be able to do that as well. Wait, wait, what was the term? Is that a new Yiddish term I don't know? A balabusta? Balabusta, yeah. You know, oh, what's a balabusta, Andy? <laughs> it's just like, you know, zip it. I'm running this courtroom here. You know, that, that's who she is. Yeah. <laughs> Balabusta, Judge Judy. Uh, yeah. Here, let me get a little best of Judge Judy. Of $100. Mm-hmm. And you sold the horse to her for $1,500, which means she owes you $1,400. Yes. Right? Yes. Good. Judgment's on the clown to claim for $1,400. We're done. Thank you. Parties are exciting. You may step out. Okay. Judge Judy continues in a moment. that's the syndication version of they're gonna run a reverse jim watch this oh my god here here we go hold on the money i do not owe anything oh please she ran out of my house and slammed the door breaking the window i was extremely upset so i grabbed a rock and tossed it gently at the car (laughs) i like 10 million people unbelievable uh back to romo though for a second okay Here's what this deal says to me because going from 3 million to 17 million is insane. And there has to be budgets that say we don't have an extra 14 million lying around, but they found it for them. So they either stole the money from another budget or who knows whose approval was given. FOMO is real, fear of missing out, or FOLO, fear of losing out. And as I've kind of observed, in our industry, media, radio, and television, there's two operative things at work, two very powerful things. One is leverage. You can never go wrong with maximum leverage. And number two is what I like to call the one useful idiot axiom. (laughs) All it takes, Andy, is one useful idiot to say yes to a contract for you as a talent, radio or TV, Yep, and you're good. 
right? Right? It's why we had, and I won't name his name. I might have to work for him someday, but you know him as a as a tall, executive-looking idiot who breezed into town at our radio station and breezed out within a year, maybe? Yeah. And his sole job was to, like, fire people, basically. He was almost like George Clooney and up in the air. Yep, yep. yep. And and he was the less sharp brother of another well-known yeah, right. media personality, and he was appointed like head of the cluster. I'll yep. never yep. forget my agent flew in from Chicago to pitch him. Actually, my agent and uh, and and his wife, because they both represent people in media and television, flew mm-hmm. in specifically to press this useful idiot for a new deal for me at a number that when they told me what they were going to ask for, I blushed. And I'm like, okay. Now, they didn't get that number, Andy. Mm-hmm. But they saw a useful idiot coming from a mile away, and they said, let's go get him. <laughs> And I'm not saying the guy that approved Roma for 17 mil is a useful idiot, but all these big television decisions when it comes to, well, let's try Katie Kirk for 12 million. If the executive fucks up and it's not a good use of money, they don't die from it. Yeah. Well, look look at ESPN. ESPN looks at Tony Romo and they go, "Eh, Jason Witten, same thing. Recently retired cowboy. We'll throw him in the booth, give him the number one job, and I'm sure it'll work out. How'd that work out? And who hired who hired him? Was that a John Skipper move? I could have been. Yeah, Skipper's gone. Right? But he's at yeah. the, he's at the zone now. Okay. Well, as is Jamie know. Horowitz. So it's like these executives that approve these deals. They don't really seem to suffer. Now, in the case of Romo, I do think it's money well spent. He is unique in that regard. Are you a Romo file, or has his act been a little bit over? adulated or overpraised by guys like uh, you know I, I don't think so i think there aren't many games where i watch and i say well that, that analyst is is really good i mean I like collinsworth been a collinsworth fan for a long time but he's he's the madden he's the madden of, of this generation and you know i think if if you really look at the and caliendo does a fabulous job of this if you look at what madden did it wouldn't play now, right? I mean, it's master of the obvious. Yeah. Whereas Romo gives you something that's unique, I think. It's it's different, which is what Madden was when he first burst on the scene. Oh, he's got a telestrator. Look what he does, and he goes, boom. He and, says, and boom. He, he yeah. says, boom, and whap. And yeah. he gets all silly talking about, oh, I like that in the mud, and the this, right. and then that. Right. Right. No right. announcers had done that before him, had they? No, and also he became mainstream by way of those Miller Lite commercials where they were getting all these ex-jocks on there and, and he would you know burst through this poster, hey, and another thing. So the, the act that he had on television was accentuated by the commercials which you saw throughout the day. So he, he was a really a pop culture figure. Romo's who, not quite that. He's not quite different. that. Who, who, yeah. is the, uh, who is on the Mount Rushmore of television sports analysts? Not play-by-play, television sports analysts. Analysts. How do you want to define Howard Cosell? Analyst. Yeah, I put him right at the top. So, ding, there's one right there. Cosell is up there. Madden is up there. That's two. Is Uh, there a baseball one? Don't forget about me, McCarver. (laughs) I could explain things really well if you gave me a minute and a half per explanation. (laughs) 
<laughs> You're the only one I know who does that, and you do that so well. Does it still was, does it still tickle you? I learned it from Matt McLaughlin, who did updates uh, for us at One on One Sports way back in the day. He he hated uh, McCarver because he was the captain of the obvious and would just bleed it out, you know, yeah. like a sheep. I remember when he was really rising. Now I was in New York when he was doing Mets games locally, but also doing like the game of the week on NBC. Okay. And he, he was considered, you know, groundbreaking for baseball. And, and I can't think of anybody else off the top of my head. The others are, you know, Joe Gargiola, okay. Tony Kubek, okay. He was considered to be different and new and, and fresh and really insightful. And I think, I think he also had managed to work in numbers very well. You know who's, who's very good still and is in his 70s? Jim Hubie. Palmer. Oh, Jim Palmer. Okay. Jim Palmer's a very good baseball analyst. Yeah, I'm a Hubie fan too. I like Hubie. But but uh Hey, he, hey Hubie, what happened on that play there? Can you tell us, Hubie? <laughs> he uh walked into the painted area where he was encountered by a very large individual. <laughs> and I looked at them and I had to laugh. <laughs> good old Hubie. How about Dick Vitale? Dick Vitale is probably on the Mount Rushmore. You may not like yeah. you may not like his style. But in terms of overall impact and name recognition value, he's up there. He is um, kind of benefited from being part of, you know, groundbreaking technology, for lack of a better word, that, you know, there was this cable and, you know, he he was on all the time. Like there'd never been a, a network that gave you basketball constantly like that. You know, back back in the old days, you had like a Saturday afternoon game and UCLA was always on it. And, yeah. and, and now here was, you know, this nightly college basketball and, and people like, especially on the West coast, were seeing these seven o'clock games in the afternoon. And, you know, he, he, he was very good, but I think that, that, you know, he benefited really from, from being part of, he, he got on a fast train. Really. Mm-hmm. Baseball, basketball, football, hockey would be hard for us to really pick a guy that would belong in the Mount Rushmore. How about other sports? Boxing, maybe? Well, boxing, everybody thinks of Cosell. Um, you know, I can't think of anybody else. But who... Ferdy Pacheco, the fight doctor. Yeah, I mean, they had... I'm that. ringside with Ferdy Pacheco, the fight doctor. <laughs> Angelo Dundee. And, you know, you could always get boxing guys. Oh, you got to work him with the hook. You got to <laughs> punch him. Speaking of boxing, did you order the heavyweight fight last weekend? I, I did not. Did you? No, it was ninety bucks. Yeah, beyond that, it's it's after midnight. I, it, I know. it's tough for me to stay up, so I'd have to spend money and fight sleep. They I, announced I, they announced the rematch. The third installment is set for July eighteenth. So Vegas, circle too. that circle that on your calendar, Andy. I know you're going to want to buy that for ninety bucks. Yeah, well, I'm I'm really into the Wilder excuse too that the costume was too heavy. So I assume he he won't be wearing that costume. <laughs> In terms of all time sports excuses, the lame ones. Where does that one rank? Um, it's up that, there. In terms of like, oh, really? That's yeah. your excuse. Is that is that as bad as as Tyson biting the ear because he thought that that uh, that Holyfield was headbutting? I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'm trying to try here. Here, top twenty worst excuses in sports history. Thank God the internet's open at this late hour. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Let me scroll down to one. Uh, Floyd Landis said whiskey was the reason he tested for synthet- synthetic testosterone. 
too much booze, right? Uh, Vinny Testaverde said his 35 interceptions his rookie year was due to be due to because he was colorblind. Yeah, I heard that too. And, and didn't they change the uniforms because of that? Or no, I guess not. I don't um, know about that. Uh, let's see. How about the Billy Goat curse, Chicago Cubs? Mm-hmm. Billy Cianis, uh, who was uh, brought in a goat to a tavern, became the Billy Goat curse. Denied admission to Wrigley Field with the goat, I think. was. Oh, that's right. You're and right. Put a curse on the, on the Cubs for that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on to the Redskins and Tua Tungavailoa. So the drumbeat of Tua, Tua, Tua continues. The whispers, the smoke signals. Maybe it's all disinformation. Who knows? But this reporter for the Florida South or the South Florida Sun Sentinel mm-hmm. claims that Ron Rivera told Tua, "We want to draft you. We want to bring you in and compete for the job with Haskins. Do you buy it?" Uh, I don't know why Ron Rivera would say that to him. Um, to me, I think Rivera is playing this perfectly. This, this is the way to go is to get Miami interested in moving up, maybe even get, uh, Detroit to panic and, and try and move up a spot. And, and I compared this to the stupidity <laughs> of the Vinnie Serrato regime when he fell in love with Aropko, as mm-hmm. he called him, Brian Arakpo, and said later that he called the Denver Broncos were only one spot ahead of them and so much wanted a Rocco that he offered a third round pick to move up one spot to take his guy. And Denver, he said, told him, don't worry, Vinny, you're going to get your guy. We're taking no Sean Moreno. <laughs> so that was that was the the stupidity level. And this is, I think, smart. You, you may you may still get Chase Young at three if you want him. And just get somebody to move up to two to give you a draft pick to do it. I think it's the way to go. <laughs> he also said that they told him, don't worry, you're going to get your guy. And they turned down the third round pick. And then he said when the draft pick, when the name, when they were on the clock, he rushed to the podium to put in their pick because he was so confident that he was the guy, which is stupid from a overall standpoint. You never know when a crazy offer is going to come flying in, right? Yeah. And then he went further and said, Clinton liked the pick. Clinton Portis. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So running back approved it. Therefore, it was a good draft pick. (laughs) I don't think it's all smoke. I don't know. Maybe so. I don't think it's all smoke. I think that uh, Rivera is intrigued by Tua. I think Rivera probably doesn't like Haskins because he might see some of Cam Newton in him in terms of the overall persona. I mean, Haskins is so tuned in to every little development, every little wrinkle on social media. He tweeted Haskins pissed off for greatness. I saw that. Yeah. What are you doing? The noise. It's... He's a kid. He, he, it's the guy who took selfies when the game was still going on. I mean, it, it, you're right. And, did you hear this? Now, this is again. This is Doug Gottlieb. I'm not a fan of, but but just stuff floats around and it lands in certain spots. And <laughs> Gottlieb said last week that he was told by a Redskin insider that they were so worried about Haskins' inability to absorb the playbook, they thought he was dyslexic. Now he's not dyslexic, but they're you know this this is out there. So 
yes, you you can believe that they're not thrilled with him. Right. And then and then as a, I think we talked about this last week, the, the chief blabbermouth of the team, Doug Williams, is 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 telling everybody, yeah, he needs to be in the I facility know. so much they can kick him out. So I think they are worried about his commitment and work ethic. And so, yeah, now maybe this is also they're using this to light a fire under him. And after the draft is over, they'll say, you know, we didn't take Tua, but we really thought about it. So you better step things up or we're going to be in the mix for a top quarterback next year. The worst, the worst possible outcome in my mind would be Haskins ends up not keeping the job. They pump fake and they hard count as much as they can to get somebody to give them a haul to move up to two and nobody bites. They take Chase Young, who's good, let's say, but Tua taken right after him. Maybe after somebody trades a lot to get up to three, because they don't believe the Redskins are real, right? Somebody trades up a lot to three to get Tua, and Tua turns out to be great. That's the sum of all fuck-ups, because the Redskins would have overreached for a bad quarterback who couldn't win the job last year at the request of the owner for a coach who has since fired. Then we're still half committed to this quarterback the following draft when they were sitting at a precious spot, number two overall, with two really good quarterbacking prospects, and nobody bid on their hard fake, on their pump fake, to come up and get the extra picks, and they ended up taking the wrong guy. Yeah, and and on top of that, this could be more doubling down by Snyder on Haskins in that Haskins obviously doesn't want them to take a quarterback and two wants him to take his former teammate, Chase Young. And Chase Young talked about his interview at the combine and how great it was that Dan Snyder was there. (laughs) Did he really? Oh Oh, God, help us. And apparently Snyder likes the fact that Chase Young is also from our area. Where is he from in Maryland? He he went to DeMatha. He's from Prince George's County. And uh, yeah, so so there's there's that the hometown theme. Oh God, help us! I hope we take the right guy. I like Chase Young a lot. I think he's sick. And absent anything else, if Haskins is really the guy, and I don't know that because I'm not in the building, I don't know, get to look at whiteboards and see game mm-hmm. tape to know if he's really that good. I think he makes some plays that make me go, "Wow, this guy looks like a hell of a potential starting quarterback." And the other plays, I'm like, mm, "I'm not so sure." But if Haskins really is the guy, just take Chase Young. Don't overthink it. But God help us if Haskins does Haskins doesn't win the job, keep the job, and play for a good ten years, then we're fucked. Again. Well, you just just go back to the well next year. See, see what quarterbacks are available. Yeah, but if we finish one. fifth, we're not gonna get sunshine. Like the the race yeah. to get uh, you know, the Clemson kid, Trevor yeah. Lawrence, is gonna be fierce, absent a broken leg or something else calamitous. Yeah. Well, he may he may wind up with the Patriots. Fuck <laughs> you! Shut up. <laughs> Shut up! I don't want to hear it. All right. Last. Uh, lastly, where do you stand on Rich Eisen's forty-yard dash stunt at the combine? Uh, he's raising a lot of money. I think he didn't. I read somewhere it was like seven hundred thousand dollars or something for charity. That's so, good. If yeah. if he wasn't raising money, what would you say? Schmucky. Okay, but. Yeah, but, so but, he's cloaked but, himself in charity to avoid the schmuckiness of it. He did run a six zero, or actually a five five nine, not in dress shoes, which he originally ran. I think in in flat sole dress shoes, right. which is a good recipe for injuring something. But he ran in sneakers. Not bad in a suit for a guy his age, huh? Well, that's, that's very impressive. I I I, I think it's excellent. Now, I, I guess he trains too. He takes it seriously. He's got somebody working with him on form. <laughs> 
you know. Really? <laughs> yeah. Training, exactly. All right. Well, whatever. Yeah. whatever. So, uh, but you know, the fact that he's raising money is fine, and 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 the whole thing is a sideshow anyway. I mean, you know, what 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 what's the what's the uh, great benefit of being a great combine performer? Maybe not much. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Uh, real quick. So Romo's 180 million over 10 years. How does that compare to Jerry Jones when he bought the Cowboys? You remember the number? Was it 139 million? God damn you, Andy! You're fucking good. 140 million dollars. I'll count your number as correct. And this tweet I saw is incorrect. How about them apples? Tony yeah. is getting more for just talking about football than Jerry paid for the team. Yeah, well, it's you know supply and demand. That's that's a great thing. Leverage and one useful idiot. Never forget that, kids in the showbiz game. Andy, always a pleasure. Thank you for your time, brother. Isaac, take there care. you go. Let's end on this interesting story in the Atlantic about. That thing that went viral last week, about 38% of Americans won't drink Corona beer because they're afraid of the Corona virus. It was a story that was too good to check, basically. On Twitter, writes Henry Romero for The Atlantic. Actually, Yasha Monk writes this for The Atlantic. Uh, Mr. Romero was the photo credit. Uh, Yasha Monk writes on Twitter where 38% of Americans, quote unquote, was the top national trend for parts of the day. Many writers with large followings used it as an occasion to condemn their fellow citizens as idiots. 38% of Americans shouldn't be allowed to roam free, said one. The problem here is that the poll published by the PR agency, 5WPR absolutely did not find what the WAGs on Twitter said it did. Its dissemination, however, does tell us an awful lot about screwed-up media systems that allow unscrupulous companies and individuals to spread misinformation. It's not just that an average person goes, Hey, I saw this survey that said this amount of Corona beer. It was the number of major outlets, news outlets, that appear to have walked right into the trap. CNN was the biggest, you know, sort of disease spreader of this misinformation because you see that CNN logo and no matter how biased you know they are, you think, well, it looks like a news outlet. That's not dog avatar tweeting this. That's CNN International. CNN, uh... The survey supposedly found that 38% of Americans would not drink Corona, quote, because of the coronavirus. However, that's not exactly at all what the agency found. The PR agency went and put out this poll, and after repeated phone calls by the author of the Atlantic story I'm reading, emails and tweets, he was able to get access to the full questions asked in the poll. Writes The Atlantic, these make clear that the survey was a fishing expedition designed to elicit viral statistics. The questions asked in the poll include, quote, is Corona related to the coronavirus? And, quote, in light of the coronavirus, do you plan to stop drinking Corona? The author's request for the results to those questions have gone unheeded. Of course, they're not going to give you the results. 
Maybe just maybe that's because the results show that most Americans understand the difference between a disease and beer. The real question as the net net by Mr. Monk in this article was, why would this obscure poll, even if it had been true, be able to capture the imagination of so many people? And the answer is as obvious as it is saddening. Clearly, a lot of Americans already think that their fellow citizens are stupid. The real reason a fake finding could have spread so far so quickly is that it confirmed prejudices about the world that many have held all along. In other words, if I may sum up, too good to check. And guess what? I fall into the same trap all the time. I glance and scroll, glance and scroll, glance and scroll. TLDR, too long, didn't read. I'm becoming as ignorant as anybody. And in my zeal for content and things I can talk about on the radio, I don't check a lot of stuff. That's why I try to go and be as critical thinking as possible whenever I can. And I fail a lot, so please, you don't need to remind me of the times that I fail to do so. That'll be it for today. Thank you for downloading and spending some precious time with me, yours truly, and Andy Poland in your ears. I'm aware you have a lot of podcast choices out there. We thank you for flying El Baldo Air. Don't forget to subscribe to Friday's edition. It is not free, but it is really dirt cheap, and it helps sustain me and hopefully broaden what I do here, and I appreciate every one of you who are subscribers. Don't forget, Zabe Vegas is almost sold out, so get to Zabe.com slash Zabe Vegas to find out how you can secure your berth for our party at Top Golf on Friday the 27th of March, and believe me, we're going no matter what the fuck the coronavirus is doing at the time. I can assure you of that. If I have to drive across the country, I will. Mark my words. Thanks for listening. Have a great Tuesday, and we will see you next time. Oh,